So we've been going through a series on our, on our core values as a church, like what we really believe. You know, the first few weeks, what was, our, what was our first core value? Do you remember? Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. That's right. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. And what's the core value we went over the last couple of weeks? Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Now, we believe that prayer comes before everything, Prayer must sustain everything. And the minute that we begin just trusting in ourselves, you know, that, that, that becomes a time when we detach from the head, we detach from the, the vine, we become a withered up branch. So prayer is how we stay connected uh, to God. And, uh, praising him, asking things of him, and confessing and receiving forgiveness from him. It's an amazing privilege. And I hope that in the last few weeks you have been inclined to prayer as you've gotten up and driven places and all these kinds of things. Um, I, I certainly have been encouraged to, to simply pray to God and make it a habit more in my life as we've talked about that. Today we're looking at our third core value, at least in part. Uh, our third value is everything we have belongs to God. The second part of that is we are his stewards. We are his caretakers. Everything that we have belongs to God. We are his stewards. But today we're just looking at this idea that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It's this cosmic, overarching, sweeping truth. Everything belongs to God. Everything. And next, next time when I preach, uh, after next week, I'll be sharing about how we steward the creation that God's uh, given us. But since everything belongs to God, you know, the only fitting response is to see ourselves for who we really are. People that are made in God's image that also belong to God. I love the story when Jesus uh, is asked about paying taxes, which is still something people ask about today. Like, why should we pay taxes? And um, Jesus, said, Jesus had a coin. He said, show me the coin. Who's, whose inscription is on the coin? And they said, it's Caesar's. And he said, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. We, are, we have God's image stamped deeply in each of our souls. And so we give ourselves to God. Everything belongs to God, including us. We are only caretakers. And God's, uh, it says in Psalm 103.19, God has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. So th these are the things we believe. And I want to look more at this idea of God's kingdom, how everything belongs to God, and how God's kingdom rules over all. And to do that, we're going to watch a short video clip together summarized all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. 
Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Everything belongs to God. God has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. I think it's such a, a poignant clip because at the time when, when it said how beautiful on the, on the mountain are those feet that bring the good news, in Isaiah 52, Israel had been utterly destroyed by Babylon. They were being oppressed by their greatest enemies, the Assyrians in Babylon. And it really seemed as though Babylon had victory that the hope and the dream was crushed. And I think that for us who live in the world, the world as it is right now, it's hard to remember that everything belongs to God and that his kingdom is established and rules over all because it is such a dark, bleak picture from our hearts, our own corruption in our hearts, all the way out to the violence and wars and oppression in our world. So we, we wonder, where is God in all of this? What is Jesus doing in all of this? Jesus has established a kingdom through his own shed blood at the hands of, of oppressors, serving his enemies with salvation. And he said, you go and do likewise. Now read the Beatitudes, read the New Testament, the kind of thing that Jesus said about love of enemies, about turning the other cheek, all these kinds of things. And through, through this, uh, this kingdom of, of people that are following Jesus in the midst of a world that's at war with disease, with threats of danger and injustice at every turn, this small group of people that, that call Jesus the Lord and the King and recognize his kingdom that rules over all, they begin to see the kingdom of God break into their lives, into their churches. And so this kingdom of God... It, it, it starts small. It has small beginnings, Jesus says. Just like a mustard seed, he said. 
that though it was a very small seed, it grew, grows into a tree that's bigger than all the other trees in the forest. He said that the kingdom of God was like a little bit of leaven that worked its way through a whole batch of dough. Small groups of people that say everything belongs to God, his kingdom rules over all, I'm going to follow in the way of Jesus, become the leaven that leavens all of society. And as, as the clip said, Jesus not only announced God's kingdom, he declared himself the king. And he was enthroned, uh, ascending to the right hand of God following his crucifixion. And, and the good news is now that Jesus has defeated death, that he's dealt with our sin and our corruption in himself. And he's also provided an opportunity to deal with the world's death, sin, and corruption through himself as well. So it's really interesting. Jesus starts his ministry saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He ends his ministry saying, Go and keep on telling about the kingdom, which is here. You know, these are the two most important things he said. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Everything, though all appearances are otherwise, belongs to God, and Jesus rules over all in Jesus' way. Not the way of this world, not the way of military violence, but his kingdom rises up as his people follow his teachings. So despite all Appearances being to the contrary. God is ruling and Jesus is ruling. And just like when God's people were, were being uh, oppressed in Babylon, were, were suffering the consequences of their own sin and turning away from God, and that messenger said, there's hope for you. In that same way, those of us who have really hit rock bottom in our own lives, God says, there's hope for you. You might see smoke. You might see destroy, even a destroyed temple. The one thing that you think can connect you to God is, is ruined. And God says there's never a hopeless person. There's never a hopeless person. The good news is that God has provided a, a way for everyone to, to take a part in his kingdom, no matter where they find themselves. In fact, the people that were most receptive to Jesus' kingdoms were the people that knew that they were not top-notch people, right? Sinners, tax collectors, people that were lawbreakers. Those were the people that could really receive and repent because they really saw the depth of their sin. Everything belongs to God. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a passage I want to read from Ephesians 1. It's going to be a rather long reading. But this is a, this is a reading that talks about the, the progression and the work of the kingdom that Jesus brought and God's ultimate plan to bring all things underneath his feet. Because as this video says, the king is going to return and he is going to bring everything under, under Jesus' feet. So listen to Ephesians 1, 3. Paul says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. 
So what's the mystery of what, what God is doing in history? What is, what is this mysterious will that God purposed in Christ? We read it right now. It says, When the times have reached their fulfillment, God's will is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Another translation of this passage says, sums up everything in Jesus. And God is going to, God is going to bring his kingdom in its fullness and sum it up completely in Christ at the end. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, may be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. That's what this is talking about. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The kingdom of God, this dream of God to have a people for himself, is realized, is talked about, in the prophecy in the Old Testament, but it's realized through Christ. It's realized through Christ, and it's also realized in the way of Christ. A small mustard seed kingdom of people that follow Jesus as Lord, do things in the way that Jesus taught to do them, that eventually becomes the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the leaven for the dough, the tree for, for, the, for all the birds to nest on. The small mustard seed kingdom of Jesus becomes um, the kingdom of the Lord. And it says in scriptures, that every kingdom will come underneath the, the, the rulership of Jesus Christ someday. So what we're doing as we make Jesus the Lord of our lives now and following the way of Jesus is just a little bit of heaven on earth. It's what everything will look like in the future. If we believe today, everything belongs to God and Jesus is the king who rules over all and we live like that, and we live into the mystery of God's ultimate will for creation, that he is going to sum up everything in Christ and make everything right. That when God raised Christ from the dead by the Holy Spirit, he ascended to God's right hand to a throne far above all rule and authority that we have seen on the earth. Not only in this age, but also in any other possible age. And, and for Paul would count us in that, the age to come, right? And God has placed all things under Jesus' feet, and made him the head over everything for the church. Everything belongs to God, and at his death and resurrection, 
Jesus was crowned as king and ruler of all. So Jesus, he, he announces his kingdom saying, the kingdom of God has come near in Mark 1.15. Repent and believe the good news. And he ends his ministry saying, go ye therefore into all the world, sharing about the kingdom, calling people to repentance, teaching everything I've commanded you. And as we saw in the video, everything Jesus commanded is considered the gospel, part of the truth of the good news that Jesus is the rightful king of the world. So Jesus, uh, I really want to share, share a teaching that, I, that I, I looked into this week uh, from a great speaker. But when Jesus um, said to people in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news, Jesus was not asking the people to simply reconsider a few things. That's something that's important to get. To change a little bit of their, um, their belief system or slightly adjust their philosophy of life. That's not what he was saying when he asked them to repent. The word is metanoia in Greek. And it means to change your entire outlook on life. The worldview that shapes everything you think and do. That's a big deal. And if you read the Gospels with your eyes open and your, and your logic intact and your heart open, as if you'd never read them before, you see that the way of Jesus is contrary to a lot of the ways that you think about life and a lot of the ways that you live your life. It's very different. So metanoia is what he's saying. Change your outlook on life. Change the worldview that shapes everything you think and do. Everything belongs to God. Jesus is Lord. His kingdom rules over all. We live in light of this. So when we talk about repentance, about uh, metanoia, we shouldn't picture someone switching from, as it has been said, white bread to wheat bread because they know that's more healthy. That's not what it's talking about. Instead, you should picture someone who leaves a, a lucrative career in high finance to become a communist agitator or someone who has abandoned their leadership in a white supremacy movement to work as a progressive equal rights lawyer. It's that significant of a change. These, are cha these changes of mind affect every aspect of a person's life. Their relationships, their lifestyle, who their, their allegiance lies with. Their very sense of identity is changed when they metanoia, when they believe the good news and they repent. So repenting is changing our outlook and perspective in a way that reshapes us from inside out, every part of our lives. And God's dream has always been the same. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God is looking for people, for people unto himself. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people that metanoia, that change their mind, change their perspective, change their worldview, and follow Jesus. He's looking for that. Dallas Willard said this, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very heart of this community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving people with God himself at the very heart of this community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. God is after a people that define themselves by their relationship with God and their relationship with one another, a community 
who's held together by the very love of Jesus. A God-centered, loving community. In Genesis 1, we, we see in Genesis 3 that God comes and walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the night. And it, it's clearly something that God did on a regular basis. He, he dwelled with people from the time he created humankind. He's, he's been desiring to dwell with people. And we, of course, know that on this particular occasion in Genesis 3, he is confronting them over their sin. He's asking them where they are. So he, but, but this is something that Jesus has done on the regular basis until the time when humanity disobeyed him and fell and started hiding in the garden. You can see Jesus' most pure desire is to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, to walk with us, to have for himself a people who are defined by their relationship with him and their relationships with one another characterized by love. That's what God is looking for. We see this also in, 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 the, in later stories in the Bible. If you look at the story of Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham is told by God to come and follow him and that he will, God will bring him to a new place and make him into a nation and will bless him and through that nation to bless all the nations of the earth. Now God chose Abraham from among the people, said, follow me and I will bring you to a new place and make you into a nation that will end up blessing the entire earth. In, through the Bible, we see this progression of, of fellowship, unbroken fellowship with Jesus in the garden to broken fellowship, escalating violence, sin, and death uh, from Adam and Eve forward. Finally, seeing Abraham being called when God comes back and tries to um, realize his dream again. The Bible is the story of a slow formation of a people who will be a nation and then end up blessing all the nations of the earth. A loving community indwelt by God himself. That's why our passage in Ephesians says he's given his sphere as a deposit to us and that we are, it actually says in, in, in Ephesians, that he has made God the head of everything for the church. You know? Um, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I mean, this is a, this is a wild and mind-blowing thought, that, G, that God has made Jesus head of everything for the good of the church, which is said to be his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God, God's body is the church. Like in a very strange and crazy twist, you people are God's body. You people. God's, God calls us, along with other believers and followers of Jesus, the church, his body. And God has made Jesus head of everything for the church. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is God's plan, to have a loving community of people who is with Jesus Christ at the center, who love one another, and through that love, love God, and who love God, and through that love, love one another and the world. This is God's dream. So Jesus, then Jesus comes and says, in Mark 1.15, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And then the rest of the New Testament is a discovery of just how far-reaching this kingdom is. And it's only the beginning of the story. Abraham was told in Genesis 12, through your people, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of 
the way that we, we naturally as people are very nationalistic, you know, Israel began to think of themselves as being God's only people through whom God wanted to bless and nobody else, whereas God's dream was always to bless all the nations of the earth through Israel. And we see uh, in the New Testament, in places like in Acts 10, when Peter uh, is speaking to Cornelius, who is a, uh, a Gentile uh, guard, and Peter is given this vision of all these unclean animals that Jews were forbidden to eat. And in the vision, God says, take and eat. And, and through this, through this vision, uh, Peter realizes that God is saying that we should call no thing unclean that God has called clean. That Gentiles are to be blessed through the church as well. And Peter ends up, I think his, his, his statement is, I am amazed that God shows no partiality. I see how true it is. God shows no partiality. The plan of God from the beginning, after humans fell, was to have a God-centered community, a loving community for all people, not just one nation. And at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, uh, in Revelation 21, whereas there had been a temple for, for worship all the way through the Old Testament, in Re- Revelation 21, 3 to 4, it says this about the future. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So Jesus says, essentially, in Mark 1, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This dream of God for the future that will be fully realized someday is at hand now, in the here and now. For those who will repent and make note of it. For those who will change everything, drop everything to follow Jesus, just like his disciples did when he called them by name. They dropped everything and followed him. So what it means to live a life steeped in, soaked in the, the loving presence of God in a community of other people who are loving God. And what that looks like is the million-dollar question. How do we be this people for God that he's called us to be? How do we live lives of devotion to God, the teachings of Jesus, in love for one another and in love for the world? That's the million-dollar question. And that is the question that I want us to answer together as a church in the coming season. What does it mean for everything to belong to God and for Jesus' kingdom to be over all and to be part of the fulfillment of what God has been looking for all along as a church? A loving community with God at the center and Jesus Christ's teachings at the forefront of our minds. What does that mean? That's what we're going to be looking at in our small groups in the spring. That's the question we're going to be answering. What does it mean? What does it mean to not just be taking up space and oxygen? What does it mean to not just be working a job and, you know, living life like, almost like everybody else in the world? What does it mean to live lives devoted to God, to Jesus Christ, with a community of people who are on the same path and trajectory? That's the question. And why do we need to do a whole small group reading this book and, and looking at these things? Why do we need to preach sermon series where we talk about the teachings of Jesus? It's because we are not 
people that readily embrace these things. We are people that have an internal desire to go along with the ways of the world. You know, we're people that are ingrained to pretty much follow the same basic pattern as everyone around us from a family of origin forward, including all the sin and death. So how do we become a loving people, the perfect love of God at the center? This is something we struggle with. And this is why we need to look into it more deeply. So I would, I would say, you know, the Lord has really been guiding me over the last year that I've been thinking about this. And I really feel that God is leading us to do this study, to look at what it means to be a loving community with God at the center, to be the realized kingdom of God, the leaven for the world. It's different than, than what we have known. And I think it's what God's calling us to. So worship Jesus, who is exalted above all power and authority, who brought a kingdom, not through overthrowing another people, but by giving his life in service to his enemies of which we were part. And I would challenge you to really consider this week what you will do uh, this spring. I have a sign-up out there, like I said, for, for people to lead a group, for people to participate in a group, for people to host a group. I know that uh, you have, everyone's got a lot of stuff going on, and we will be preaching through these things as well, but can you make space for this in your life? That's the question. And this is something that you want to look into with me under the direction of God's leading. So... As we come to worship him, let's worship him as the true king of the earth. Jesus, we, we exalt you. We recognize the truth of the scripture that said that your, your throne is established in heaven. Your kingdom rules over all. We believe, Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father. We believe that someday all of the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of God. And we also recognize the path that you've called us to is very countercultural. Um, the path of following Jesus, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. But God, we want to be among the people who are doing, doing that thing that you've called us to. We want to be a, a loving community with you at the center who's able to bless our city, our state, our nation, the world with the treasures of the kingdom. So we look to you in worship right now saying we don't know how to do this but we are looking to you to teach us, to teach us in the coming days. Let's worship him.